Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel podcast contains explicit language, and I will not go to my room. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Star Trek edition. Today we are pitching sequels. Ooh, I'm excited. Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man whose pen is dripping with ink, I'm sure, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hit me, Tom. How do you feel? <laughs> How do you feel? <laughs> Tell my mother I feel fine. <laughs> I wish I wish I could uh, verbally recreate the little bird twitch Spock face in between those right? two lines, because <laughs> that's what makes it like a like a tiny little bird. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Well, here we are. The end of another series. The task in front of us. Well, <laughs> questionable. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> not not only is it not the end of the film series, it, the, like the TV series has barely started. Correct. Especially given the last few years of uh, shenanigans. I mean, there's there's too much too much Star Trek. I mean, I don't know. How, I don't know how to how to put it either better or more intelligently. There's there's too much Star Trek now. Just too much. There was already slightly too much, and in the last few years, it's it's exploded. Uh, it's insurmountable. Not for you. You watched it all. <laughs> I haven't seen all of it. I'm scared to try. I thought you said worlds. you watched uh, like every episode of every show over the last I don't know year or two. Oh, of the classic era, yeah. Okay. Up until the end of Enterprise. The only thing I've not actually worked my way through is um, Strange New Worlds, which ironically seems to be the only new Star Trek series that everyone thinks is good. But I'm too scared to venture into it. <laughs> Especially You've... knowing that whatever they do with the second series, they will fuck it up because that's what happened because with Picard. Alex Kirksman is who he is. He cannot change that. All right then. He cannot. He's Scorpion and the Frog situation. Alex Kurtzman is not going to be able <laughs> to keep going with this, even if it is good, which I suspect it is not, and it's all a mass hallucination. Wow. All right. Well, then the task falls before uh, the two of us to try and keep this yeah. original series going somehow. So, right. ladies and gentlemen, here we are. Uh, this is the Pitch a Sequel segment. We're here to pitch sequels. Can I, can I uh, interject? Yes, by all means. Uh, I've got a quite severe update corner. Oh. Um. I don't. I, I don't want to. Well, I did want to doorstep you with it. Actually. Yeah, by all means, but, uh, hit me with hit me, hit me with an update. I'm li lying when I say if I didn't want to doorstep with you, I would have told you I was going to do it. Um, <laughs> but uh, some of it is Star Trek related, and some of it is unrelated. Let's okay. let, let's start with old business. Let's treat this like a real AGM. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> unsurprisingly, we're going we're going back to the world of Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Oh well, because very. Are we talking about his feud? I, I did want to mention that, but this is this is specifically a follow up to something we've talked about. Oh, okay. Uh, before, we can talk about that now if you want. No, but no, I... you you. Leave. I mean, it's, you it's take not unrelated. Lead. It's not unrelated to the feud, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it happened less recently. It was it was just a gap in my knowledge about something that we talked about that I wanted to add to, mm -hmm. so we didn't look like a couple of complete fools. Well, that's our default like, position, but go ahead. <laughs> so we didn't look more like a couple of complete fools than we already do. <laughs> um, so we, let's let's meet an old friend, Seiko. Okay. <laughs> I was listening. I was listening to a podcast where one of the uh, hosts casually mentioned that Stallone 
cutting out Seiko from the Rocky Four uh, extended uh, director's cut mm-hmm. uh, was because he didn't like Seiko anymore and he thought it wasn't good for the movie. So the creator of Seiko, <laughs> um, Robert Dornick, head of international robotics. Uh, I'll I'll just I'll read what I'll read what his response to uh, Stallone saying that was. I don't know how we missed this at the time, but um, I was in my office when I find out found out presumably found out that they were losing Seiko Seiko from Rocky Four. Mm-hmm. I was deluged with messages. How can Stallone do that? But I know why he's doing it because he I know he loves the robot. By causing t- turmoil among the fans of Seiko, it generates more publicity. And by removing the robot from the movie, <laughs> this is the important part, it saves money in royalty fees because he is a member of the Screen Actors Guild. Seiko receives checks all the time. And of course, he sends them over to me. <laughs> That's amazing. So, this is an alternative theory to why Seiko isn't in the director's cut i'm not sending that that robot guy another check i'll tell you that much yeah pretty much that's great while also manufacturing uh, like a publicity stunt Mm -hmm. now we both we both love sylvester salome far more than he deserves the average bear (laughs) this sounds kind of credible to me oh yeah absolutely <laughs> I just wanted to put forth both sides. Yeah. Do with the information what you will. However, this is clearly the truth. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you you can you you. I'll let you talk about the the feud. Which well, is I, you know, I guess there's a couple. In the past. Th- there's one that. Uh, that is serious and one that looks like, it, you know, it may have started as a small brush fire and maybe it was put out. I don't know. I haven't seen Stallone's response yet, but, you know, yeah. apparently he is uh, mostly on Twitter, I take it, uh, vehemently mm-hmm. arguing with Erwin Winkler and his entire yeah. family or estate. Is Erwin Winkler still alive? Yes. Okay. So, you know, he's basically just calling him... Well, Stallone uh, seems to think he is. Yeah, a low-down, dirty... I haven't checked, but he keeps calling him out by name, yeah, he, so he, Stallone he, thinks he's alive. He's referring to him as a low-down, dirty thief and yeah. uh, keeping control of, of his artistic expression that he wanted to give to his kids and uh, can't seem to do because of the Winkler family. And, and then... And why, is, and why does he think this? <laughs> What is, well, I mean, specifically because Irvin Winkler is, well, at least as far as Stallone tells us, planning to spin off. Uh, well, the 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 Drago the Drago portion of the story, but yeah, you know, but that Not necessarily but, clear that that's true, right? Exactly. So that came from Dolph Lundgren, mm-hmm. and then Stallone got pissed at Lundgren, and Lundgren said, "Oh my God, I... Kindergarten Cup too." Yeah, right. And I and I had, uh, you know, so Lundgren said, uh, well, this is a surprise to me. I had no idea that Stallone didn't know my good friend. And I don't know if Stallone's responded to that yet. I haven't heard that portion of the story. I haven't either. But I know I know I know Dolph Lundgren has been has taken this very well and been a very has yeah. been a, a, the bigger the bigger man. The bigger man for sure. I mean, he's already the bigger man, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he punched Stallone so hard in the chest that Stallone had to fly back to L.A. before his heart gave out. Yeah. So there's some. But there's some sequel news for you. There are there. Sh- there you go. There, there's some there's some ostensibly unrelated, but in reality, very related stories about yes. Stallone and the Rocky franchise. There you go. Um, but the, and the final update corner I have is is, again, really just a disclaimer. Mm-hmm. Um because a day, the day after recording our episode for Star Trek V The Final Frontier. Yes. Uh, an episode of uh, ABCD TOS dropped onto my feed <laughs> in which they cover Star Trek V. Oh. As they're now alphabetically covering the Star Trek original series movies. And I, first of all, it's it's going to look bad for us. 
because we record because I recorded the ep- <laughs> our episode on that before they released theirs. Yes, I don't know when they recorded it in relation to all that. I had I did not hear what they said because what they said is remarkably similar to what we said. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yes. I did. I I will admit I did quote Tom Taylor from. ABCDTOS on an unrelated matter. However, he also made the Thor Love and Thunder comparison. Did he? He did indeed. But it goes well beyond that. And I just, I, I, I wanted, I wanted to, uh, to <laughs> like Star Trek Six on aging, get in front yes. of this looking like we stole their entire episode from them. No, it we was, don't do that. Unrelated, a lot of the same observations um listen to it it's a really great episode it has far more um production background than we gave so you will learn you will learn other things from listening you'll to, learn to more about separately. the inside of the mind of will but there will uh, be a shatner there will be a ton of crossover um i think the, probably the 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 hardest pill to swallow about about this for me mm-hmm. in terms of the timing was that uh John Ingle mentioned something that I had in my notes that didn't make it into the episode. Uh, which is that. No. I'm going to say it now. Go ahead. I don't care if I look like a plagiarist. I'm going to say it now because, I, you know, I'll take a picture of it on my notes. Yeah, there you life. go. You can, we can add it. <laughs> when uh, when the cat stripper is thrown into in the, water. the pool, into the water, she makes a sound like James Brown. <laughs> And on this episode, they actually went back and forth about whether this was legitimately a sound clip of James Brown. <laughs> that's, a, that's amazing. So, well, now I got to go back and rewatch it. It reminds me of my discussion with uh, Lady Chu for uh, when we were when we were talking about Broken Arrow. Yeah, because I had read something about uh, the final fight between Christian Slater <laughs> and John Travolta, and and you really got to lean into it. Yeah. To, to hear it, but when when you really like lean in and listen, there are the sounds of jungle cats in the mm-hmm. middle of their fight. Right. And right. when you do hear it, I mean, it may it it takes it to a level that is almost sublime. Like it, it's delicious. Yeah. So now I got to go back and watch the cat drowning, because I don't think I picked up on that. Well, I tell you, we got, we got ahead of them when it came to the chicken noise on the Klingon thing. Okay, so. good. <laughs> I just wanted to, you know, to let you know that I, I that you know, I, we weren't pilfering from, from their work, even though it absolutely will look like we did All right. when this episode comes out. Noted. Uh, and that was Update Corner. That's Update Corner, and so here we are, uh, the what I would call unenviable task of trying to come up with uh, another movie in this series that uh, ended so splendidly. Now, we have our time machine. We don't have to go to the end. We can put sequels in between current sequels. We can do whatever we, we want. We also have the time machine that exists in World. Yeah. Should you care to use it. <laughs> if you wish. We've done it before. Slingshot around the sun. Absolutely. We've done it before. <laughs> and... So it leads me to ask you, as as I yes. always do, uh, how difficult was this for you? <laughs> I hate to say it. I know maybe it's something to do with my familiarity with these films and my resentment of uh, most of the Star Trek canon. Not that difficult. Oh, man, that makes me resent you. <laughs> I... <laughs> I... I had to like just stick a bunch of nails into my mouth and like really try to hammer out you know piece by piece little bit by little bit it took me so long to put this story together in in a way where i I, I, in a way at the end where i just said that's fine i'm gonna finish there yeah the th- see, see uh, you know, we, we'll cover, at some point we'll cover Generations yeah. and, the, and the next generation movies, so I don't want to say too much about this. Uh, you know, I, I've not been kind towards Generations so far, but I will say I, I, the, the, the biggest problem for me is that Kirk didn't need to be in it. Of course. Because of the way that the Discover, Discover Country ends. Uh, ends, nonetheless he is. Um, 
And so, you know, I think it's an it's an open playing field of what you can of what you can do, really, because uh, generations didn't do anything in the transition to the next phase. Also, you don't because we're just doing the original series. You don't have to think about passing the gauntlet or anything like that. You can sort of do what you want with these guys. That's true. We know at least we know at least some of them live for a little while. Right. After um, some of them are for a long time. Um, well, at the end of Star Trek Six, everybody is alive. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that that I was more intimidated by some of the some of the successes of. I'm thinking specifically of the Next Generation, and I didn't mention this in the previous episode, but Star Trek: The Undiscovered Country is so good that when Spock returns in the Next Generation. Everything he does in those two episodes he's in to, to reunify the Vulcans and the Romulans comes as a result of him trying to exercise the demons of the peace process in Undiscovered Country. Mm. I love... I mean, that is... That's wonderful. That's good but shit. But it is a very... It's a minor success. Usually Star Trek gets this continuation stuff, especially when it comes to legacy cast and characters wrong. Okay. Yeah. Uh, although, yeah, you, Scotty has a really good send off in Next Generation as well. So, I'm less concerned with that. More about making another, like, another original series movie that I would want to see. Mm-hmm. That was my. That was all I was thinking about. Like I said, at the, taking it all the way back to the beginning. This is for a long time before I did my five year mission. Right. This was the be all and end all of Star Trek for me. Okay. So I'm continuing purely in the vein of the original series movie. Well, and it's funny you say that because at the end of the day that that was the refrain going on in my mind like what movie would I want to see? Yeah. And uh I I do you, also... you know, I think I was able to at least cobble something together that uh I yeah. I won't be completely not proud of. I also think, you know, you're you're helped by people like J.J. Abrams trying out things that are kind of interesting ways to go but ultimately don't work out. So you don't waste your time trying to do that. Mm -hmm. Like using time travel to create an alternate timeline. You're like, you know, yeah, that's not a bad way to carry on. Right. You know, uh, but ultimately, there's really nowhere to go from that point onwards, as as the as those films prove have proven. Yeah. Um. So the fact that people have have sort of experimented and tried also helped me kind of narrow down what it was that I wanted to get out of this pitch. Mm. Um, because, you know, a lot of it is kind of low hanging fruit. I mean. I, you know, I think I think what Abrams did with the time travel aspect was feeding off the role of time travel in the series and in the movies. Um, so I can, you know, I'm not a fan of J.J. Abrams, but I understand that what he did was true to the se- to the spirit, spirit of, the of the series. Franchise, yeah. And it's absolutely a way I could have gone had it not existed and I'd seen that it was a poison chalice. Do you have time travel? Incidentally, okay. Let me ask you this: <laughs> such a, I, I don't really know. I, I was like, I don't not not. I don't not have time travel. Understood. But it's not called time travel. No. <laughs> okay. What about? Uh, do Do you mean it's not called time travel in the narrative, or your movie's not called time Star Trek time travel? No, no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, if scientifically, okay, you know. Were I to send my script over to the scientific advisors that they used to send Star Trek scripts off to, mm-hmm. they'd have a lot to say about time travel. Fine. But it does not exist as an idea in the script. Now, what about the idea of coming up with a title? Now, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock is really the only kind of title where you're like, okay, so it says what they're doing. Uh, Which, yeah, as I think we said at the time, that the it, it, the search for Spock is over pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's the it's the collection of yes. Spots, really. <laughs> yes. 
It's the pickup of Spock. The finding of Spock's soul. <laughs> the, the, the delivery of Spock's soul is what it should have been called. Yeah. Uh, uh, search implies you don't know where he is. Yes. <laughs> He's where you left him. He's right where we found left him. We're fine. But all these other titles, I mean, they're good titles. We have Wrath of Khan, Voyage Home, mm-hmm. Final Frontier even is a fine title. Uh, the Undiscovered the Country. Ho- I would say the, the Voyage Home is the, the most sort of, uh, to use a very dated British phrase, which I'm sure you listeners love me hashing out. <laughs> Probably your favorite thing about me. Um, <laughs> uh, so there was a commercial... I don't know when I was growing up on British TV for Ron Seal, which was a like a wood sealant, mm-hmm. and the slogan was Ron Seal. It does exactly what it says on the tin. <laughs> so for a few years after that, like I guess what we would call like high concept, you know, mm-hmm. um, was referred to as a Ron Seal title and i would call the voyage home a ron seal title because that, that's it they're going yeah it's whatever happens in the movie it's during the voyage home yes but anyway. to me they're all you know they're all <laughs> pretty strong titles and so yeah i felt this kind of extra pressure to come up with a title and of course because it's star trek i'm like leafing through lots of lots of Shakespeare and trying yeah. to, you know, <laughs> it's funny you should say that. Mine involves Shakespeare as well. And I, I, and I, like, I couldn't find anything Shakespearean that like fit just right. And I, yeah. you know, eventually I just said, kind of, kind of like my pitch. I was like, this is good enough. I'll, I'll use, I'll, I'll use a Ben Johnson title as <laughs> Star Trek the. Star Trek: The Alchemist. <laughs> I'll go. I'll move out to other Elizabethan stage drama. Star Trek: The Sorcerer's Stone. Exactly. All right. Um, it's interesting you should say that because I I both desperately wanted to get Shakespeare into my title mm-hmm. and found the same as you that there wasn't anything that quite fit. Yeah. So what I did is I ended up shipping something that is quintessentially Star Trek and a sh- and something that is a Shakespeare quotation and uh, mind-melding them. Ooh. All right. Uh, now I'm curious. Talk to me. What is... By the way, it, it feels like this is the task that I was born to do. Yeah, we all say. You know, you, so it's, it's, it's like no, normally I have the, exactly the same struggles, but for some reason on this series... It's just been a walk in the park. Oh, I, I fucking hate you so much right now. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's going to be good. <laughs> doesn't mean it's going to be good. It just feels like I just I know the territory so much. Like I feel like I have a really yeah. Good I can't decide makes, if you should. What makes these movies good is so self-evident to me that making a pitch that speaks to all of that is simpler is okay. than. Well, it, it, it's simpler than doing it with some of the other series we've done. Yeah. Yeah, it's well. I wanted you to go first because I don't trust anything I have written down. But that okay. that almost makes me feel like you should anchor this team. Okay. However you want to do it, I'm fine. I'll let you go first. All right. I bet yours is better than I think. Probably better thought out. I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, at the end of the day, I called my movie Star Trek Extinction Event. Ooh. Okay, I don't hate that. Okay. Star Trek Extinction Event. No numbers? Oh, you're right. I didn't think of that. <laughs> no, I'm not right. I'm just I'm just asking. Well, I'm I'm just you... saying in keeping with the series. Yeah. I I from this I, point I, onwards it's all I literally cuz I I I struggled with this, but um I my my movie comes after Star Trek Six, so I think I would be calling it Star Trek Seven Extinction Event. Okay. A little bit of alliteration there. Yeah. I know what those two words mean, and I know what they mean together. So we're already onto a winner. Yeah. I you know I thought of words <laughs> for you. In, I was going you know with, <laughs> with the low bar that you've set. That's a good time. Okay, fine. Uh, there is a distant distress signal next to a planet from another Federation ship. Classic. 
at the end of Star Trek VI, we see them disobeying orders and going uh, off into space. Uh-huh. And to me, uh, what I thought that might signify, it's kind of like a, you know, a, a, a professional athlete who announces their retirement before their last season. Sort of farewell tour. We already know. Well, or, or Frank Sinatra. Yeah, there you go. We know they've Retiring. got three months yeah. left. It's he wrote he perfor- he only performed New York, New York after he retired. Let's never forget that. Exactly. Anyway, Karen. So to me, in my mind, this was sort of like, you know, the Starship Enterprise is going to be uh, just doing one last tour and saying goodbye to everybody, kind of a thing. Yeah. And then this distress signal comes, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. as always. Jim, I need Jim. You're close. Uh, there's there's a lot of cagey stuff going on, and, and we don't have a lot of information. I want this mo- the literally the most seasoned captain we've got. You know, the guy that who's almost Jim dead. Magic. What'd you say? That old Jim Kirk that magic. That Jim Kirk as, magic. You're, to, quote, to quote Star Trek V. So gather up your bag of bones, crew, and get your ass over hey. there. But and Your literal bones. Yeah. The uh, the caveat being that close by is also a Klingon vessel who says we can respond and we'll help. And so what you have is maybe the first instance after the peace has been set of these two groups having to work together. Star Trek 6.5. There you go. So uh, what I have decided was to base... The core of this story, uh, going back TOS style to the balance mm-hmm. of terror. Fantastic. And one of one of the greatest episodes of the show. Yeah, which uh, you know is for those at home that don't know is the introduction of the Romulans, I believe. Correct. And even to the even to the uh, cast of the Enterprise, who have no idea what Romulans look like. Right. And because there was. I mean, part of and a shock to find out that they look exactly like Leonard Nimoy's spot. Yes, exactly, <laughs> and the, and that like ancestrally they might be they might be ancestors of Vulcans who mm-hmm. took a different path, all, all, kind of like Cyborg, <laughs> right? <clears throat> yeah, Cyborg would have been far better as a Vulcan. So there you have it. Uh, and famously, Wait, what's the extinction? It, like event? it was you that reminded me that Mark Leonard was uh, playing. The Romulan. Yes, absolutely. In that episode. And the Klingon, yeah. So, uh, you know, the the distress signal has been sent. Both groups go to investigate. They both send uh, groups of people onto the ship, and it's deserted ex- mm. except for one captain. Ooh. And now... The only thing I couldn't decide, and I wanted to ask you, I was I was thinking of uh, making that captain himself Romulan, but does that jive with the series itself? Were Romul were there any Romulans working for the Federation in the way that Klingons were, or does that not according work? According to according to Star Trek Five, yes, but it, it it doesn't appear anywhere else. It's a bit early. Next generation is when we start to okay. broker peace with the Romulans. So, um, but. They were happy to pretend that that was the case in Star Trek V, so you could get away with it. Well, maybe I could get away with it, or or maybe it's one of those things. Uh... <clears throat> there was an because at the at the end of Star Trek V, it's pretty clear David Warner and the Romulan lady are hooking up. Yeah, so right. Maybe this is the mixed raced could be child of those two. Could be smoking a little cigarette. Well, a very sweaty and smoking. It can't, cigarette. It can't be that because I've got a different thing. But at any okay. rate. You know, say this person can either uh, disguise or cloak themselves in a way like the Romulans do in that, you know, like they have a cloaked ship. Maybe they can maybe they have technology that can alter appearance or morph themselves Mm -hmm. in some way, whatever. Uh, Meanwhile, you know, he's saying the entire crew has disappeared. Some of them are on the planet. So now we've got sections of ships separating and they have to go to the planet only to find out that there's an ionization, there's something going on on the planet. This planet is set to explode and create an extinction event Mm. um, that will destroy the planet, will destroy all three ships, and, like, you know, it's doomsday for everybody. We got to get out of here. 
except they're stuck. They can't get, you know, once mm-hmm. once they arrive to the planet, they find that they don't have communication. They can't get off. They, like, they can't transport. They can't do anything. So, meanwhile, now the Romulans have boarded the Enterprise. They're taking over the Enterprise. So, while they're trying, like, you have the A, B, like a kind of A wow. story, B story. When you first get onto this uh, distress signal ship, you get kind of a spooky ghost thing going on. You know, the whole ship's empty. They're mm-hmm. looking around. They can't find anybody. So you get that aspect of, of genre flipping like we got in Star mm-hmm. Trek Six. Excellent. Uh, and Yeah, got, um, the, Star Trek likes to lean into its gothic horror now and again. Yeah. So meanwhile, uh, we got Romulans now are aboard the Enterprise and you're put into the position of, you know, what I what I wanted to play with was does James T. Kirk trust that these new friends, that, you know, the Klingons can be trusted because, mm-hmm. you know, the evidence is going to be set up in a way in which it looks as though the Klingons res- are responsible for all of this. Ah, uh, yeah. And so the whole time... And they hate Romulans. Yeah, the whole time, the Klingons are going to be protesting and saying, this is not us, and, like, you can trust us. Why would we risk the peace? Why would we risk our future? And so that's the thing that Kirk has to wrestle through with this movie. So much so that the Klingons left on their Klingon ship, they are going to transport to the Enterprise and help whatever crew is left on the Enterprise fight the foes of the Romulans. Mm. Until they on the planet can sort out their shit, everybody can get back on the ship, foil the plan, and get rid, you know, uh, blah, 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 and get out of uh, the way before the extinction event happens. But the big kicker of the whole story is that the person responsible for this was going to be Mark Leonard's son Mm. from that original episode who has been ah. plotting this revenge ever, you know. Okay. And he gets to do everything that he wanted to do. You know, he gets to sc- fuck over the Klingons. He gets he gets to get at James T. Kirk, who killed his father. And this is the last thing that, uh, you know, the Enterprise has to do before docking. Before they get back and presumably have another court-martial. Yes. <laughs> so there you have it. Star Trek. That's re- I mean, that's really seven good. Seven extinction that ticks, event. Ticks so many boxes. I especially like that it's a double sequel to Balance of Terror. Yeah. That's that's uh, my favorite aspect of that. But it feels like it's like a really good episode of TOS. Yeah. That, I mean, I wanted to hearken back to so, that. But set in the post-TOS right. era. Which is great. Fantastic. All right. I think that's great. Whew, I'm relieved. Doesn't sound like you struggled with it at all. Oh, I just, I, I really, I was just piecing it together little bit by little bit. Um, I think that, I think there's room for Commander Worf. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, in, in that story, uh, maybe another Michael Dawn could get some more play as, uh, um, cause I'm sure he loves being in that Klingon makeup. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> uh, great. Great. There you have it, Star Trek Seven Extinction. I like. Extinction I event. also like, and don't and don't take this the wrong way. I like how pedestrian your title is. Yeah. Because I feel like you either, you can either go grandiose with your you know your Shakespeare, the undiscovered country, quote, right? Or your kind of uh, your kind of serial wrath of. I decided know, at the of end of the day, I'm I'm literally just going to connect it to what is happening in the narrative. Yeah. And not try to overthink it and call it a day. Yeah. So uh, you know, like I don't take offense sounds... because it's exactly what I was going for. <laughs> yeah. Well, Wrath of Khan sounds like it's a matinee serial from the third. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the best title in the series is Voyage Home, and it's the same. It's like, it's what I did. It's what it's about. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. Well, that's fantastic. Kudos. Thank you, sir. Um. Well, my uh, and we're not we're not dissimilar at least at the starting point mm-hmm. of my your, pitch is very much the same as. Are yours. you after the events of six? Yes. Nice. But uh, and you know exactly the same. 
it begins with them flying off okay. <laughs> uh, at the end of Star Trek Six. So it's a straight. It's an aftermath pick. It's an aftermath pick. Well, yours is an after. That's another great thing about yours. Yours is an aftermath sequel as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine is mine is not in that regard. Okay. Um, this is much more of a. Uh, well. Okay. I'm just going to introduce it, and then we can talk about it. Hit me. Because uh, the title, the the title will will give away my uh, my plan. Mm-hmm. To be or not to be a mind meld. <laughs> You've been working on that since I said. Ow, right, no, no. Since I said I, I was shipping it, I literally came like, up with okay. it just now. Oh, you. D- it, so- I, it sounds like you've been mulling that over. Like, what's a Star Trek thing and a Shakespeare thing put together? Um, yeah, of course. It's. Uh... <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's um, Star Trek warp speed comedy of errors. Um, no, it's serious. <laughs> No, uh, the name of my pitch is Star Trek Brave New Worlds Part 1. Oh, my. This is the first film in a new Star Trek trilogy. Uh, so, uh... Called Brave New Worlds. Original cast for all three movies? Yeah, so, so absolutely. Look yeah, well, at I mean, you go. I mean, what what else? One movie for each month that they're still working. <laughs> they're still alive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. So, so basically, uh, the, my starting point. Uh, um, I thought we've got. Let's say we got three years. In, you know, fictional world time, between, the end of the undiscovered country. And when Kirk pops up on Alan Ruck's Enterprise mm-hmm. in Generations. Okay. Um, so this is set in those three years. All right. So you, you said one for every three months? No, it's not that simple. It's one for every year. Um, Perfect. <laughs> totally different. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's way more time. Uh, so it begins as... Uh, undiscovered country ends they they're going off on their you know kirk's going off at another joyride now do you just the b- b- before you get too deep into this do you just have the one pitch for the one movie yes i'm not gonna pitch, you all, gonna three pitch all three okay i'm gonna pitch the first part of a uh, because i you know I, I thought i thought back to what we were talking about throughout this which is how how much of a how much of a departure and how much of a success it was for them to have a trilogy within the series Mm -hmm. that stood alone. So I thought, well, that's what I'm going to do. And I, you know, and as I was thinking out this pitch, I was developing ideas that were going to be more than one movie. So I thought, okay, nice. That's all right. Let's, let's make it an ongoing story. So the first thing we see is the enterprise going to warp speed, disappearing. Then, on screen, three years later, mm-hmm. the Enterprise comes back from where it left. Okay? Yes. Starfleet are alerted to the return of the Enterprise after three years. You know, we get some, we get some, uh, um, some crewmen who are sent to meet the Enterprise... Uh, you know, they've got their comments like, I guess Kirk's done with his joyride. <laughs> uh, you know, all, all, that's that sort of thing. It's like, can't, it's like, right, it's like how long has he been gone? I don't know, like three years or something. It's like, it's less, less longer than some of them, shorter than others. Um, and <laughs> and you, But when they get on the ship, it, it appears to be deserted. Hmm. It appears to be no one on the ship. It's moving at impulse power. Oh, we both got deserted ships. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's hovering through space at impulse power, and there is only one me- crew member on the ship, and that's Bones. Hmm. And Bones is not in a good way. Okay. He is a gibbering wreck of a man. Clearly traumatized. Mr. Burns, uh, as Howard Hughes style. 
well, he's he he na- can now only speak in Shakespeare quotes. <laughs> That's because great. he's had a he's had a mental break. All he's done is he only... has been reading. That's right. Yeah. Uh, which would be a great way to lure Nicholas Myron back into the fold. There you go. Um, but he's speaking. You know, but but he's not making any sense what he's saying. He's just randomly quoting Shakespeare here and there. No one can. So no one knows what happened to the Enterprise, where the rest of the crew are, what happened, and all they have is bones spouting Shakespearean uh, nonsense. Um. This is when we have the intervention of a a group within Starfleet that is yet to be revealed in canon, but I'm going to reveal in canon because I've watched forward and now I'm doing the pitch as if it was 1992. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm, I'm using a time travel machine. I get you. Because the, this already exists in chronology, but it is yet to be revealed in Star Trek canon, which is Section 31, who are the Starfleet Secret Service. Mm-hmm. Um, who work in who work within Starfleet, but independently. Um, the CIA of Star Trek, yeah, essentially. Right. Um, and they're you know they're sent in to investigate, and you know they have for the first thing they have to do is to find out is to try and you know get coherent testimony from Bones as to what's happened. So the that is their only inkling. There's no logs on the ship. There's nothing that will tell them what has happened in these three years. Um, and then, you know, one the head of Section 31 says, we're going to have to think outside the box on this one to figure out what Bones is saying. Um, we need to contact the the world's leading Shakespearean scholar. Uh, so they, they, they <laughs> locate this man, played, of course, by Ian McKellen. Ah, of course. And where is he? He's in the vineyards of France. Because <laughs> a certain... <laughs> <laughs> a certain a certain winemaker known as Picard <laughs> wants his chi- wants wants his children to speak and receive pronunciation so he is mentoring this french family to sound english <laughs> for future generations <laughs> and of course picard is john luke picard's father and of course he is played by Patrick Stewart. So it's Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Perfect. In a scene in which he is teaching it, Ian McKellen is teaching Patrick Stewart Shakespeare. Stop saying so ho they... ho ho after everything. Exactly. And that explain <laughs> and but so that explains why Picard is an Englishman, even though he's French. Perfect. Um <laughs> so that mystery's solved. Done. But and the Bones done. mystery has still to be still to be solved. So what we see in, you know, in this this timeline we see the Shakespearean scholar trying to piece together the quotes and form a narrative. But at this point, we get the flashbacks to start to see what actually happened Mm. or the beginnings of what actually happened. So now we're going to go into the, we're going to, we're going to pick up, you know, maybe like a couple of months into their joyride where they're on a, uh, they're of course in a space bar. So we can get a weird alien parade. Are they playing fighter pilot the back, games? They're in the back room playing poker with some space scoundrel. <laughs> scoundrel, I like the sound of that. Yeah, like, uh, like you know, so he's a spa- he's a space. <laughs> I like it. that's nice. <laughs> wrong, wrong series, but I like yeah. it. Yeah, um, you're picking up what and... I'm dropping down. <laughs> and they're playing poker. Uh, we see we see Kirk and Bones are playing poker, and an unseen other member of the crew. Um, playing with the space scoundrel, and the first thing he says, one of my favorite things about Earth games like poker is how badly Earth people play it. Nice. Um, and, you know, Kirk and Bones, we get to the final hand for the pot. Kirk and Bones are out. There's only this unseen crew member who's still in, right? And this, this unscreen, you know, out of nowhere to see and raise to see and raise the the space scoundrel he offers him the enterprise and of course kirk is in arms it's like you're not the captain of the enterprise you can't put the enterprise up as collateral Mm -hmm. you know that's that's not your ship and and then this without saying anything this unseen crew member just hands over all the specs all the security codes you know zero zero one a of course because the space scoundrel <laughs> could never figure them out on his own right um he has like everything he would need to beam up to the enterprise and take it 
you know, for himself. And of course, Kirk and Bones are outraged. You know, just like, how dare you? You're a crewman on the ship. You're portraying, you know, the Enterprise. If this all goes wrong, we've, we're stranded here. Um, of course, and, you know, this is, this is all a ploy to get the space scoundrel to put up his most valuable um, possession against the Enterprise, mm-hmm. which is a trans-warp drive that will allow them to go mm. faster than any spaceship has ever gone. Um, and so, you know, the, we finally, re- you know, we, we revealed that it's Spock, who is the, who okay, is the other player. Yeah. It's all part of a hustle to get this hand- transwarp drive off this guy's hands. He wins the hand. This is in the past? This is this is like a few months after they left. So it's a few months after okay. Undiscovered Country. It's, you know, three months into the joyride. Okay. Um, supposedly when they're supposed to be decommissioned. Right. <laughs> so they get this transwarp drive and, you know, they, that mean, they fit it to the Enterprise. And then it's just like, we can go to the end of the galaxy now. You know, we can go farther than any man's gone before. Um, let's continue the joyride. Exactly. It's, 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 let's let you know. Let's continue the joyride. Uh, and of course, we're intercutting with, with you know, uh, McCoy. Them gradually figuring out this first part of what happened. You know, he he's leaning on Brave New World, but he keeps saying Brave New Worlds, and they realize that you know it's like the the, the he's stitching the five year mission to the Tempest, and you know the possible meanings of that. Um, but yeah, the re- so the rest of them, you know, I've not traced beyond that, but they will encounter, like, the, they will go the furthest they've ever gone. They will go to the end of the galaxy and encounter a civilization there. They'll get into a mini adventure, the TBW, mm-hmm. with them. But that's basically the movie, except, at the, you know, at the very end, they'll resolve whatever differences they had encountering this new civilization we'll start to see that on Earth, Section 31 and the Shakespearean guy have peace, gradually piecing together what happens from what Bones is saying. Bones is starting to become more lucid and giving away more information. actual information. But it ends with Kirk. They're turning around the Enterprise at the very edge of the galaxy, getting ready to head back through uncharted space to where they came from. And it ends with Kirk on the bridge. And, you know, he signals to his crew uh, to go to warp speed and says, let's see what's back there. Bam. <laughs> Credits. All right. And that is Star Trek Brave New Worlds Part 1. Part 1. And, you know, so the the ultimate aim of the trilogy will be to find a way for uh for, for <laughs> a seemingly a seemingly unconcerned kirk to walk onto the bridge of alan kirk's alan rush's uh alan rucks enterprise in generations in generations gotcha seemingly having had none of the experiences that he will have fantastic there we go brave new worlds part 1 well there you have it uh two two new movies uh, one of those movies set to be two more movies. So that's right. So y- you you get to choose, everybody. Um, that's what you want to do with a severely aging cast is is commit them to three commit more them movies. to three more movies. I I I applaud your the ambitious nature of your pitch, <laughs> sir. I felt very uncomfortable about setting mine after Star Trek Six, and you said, "Oh, I've got." Hold my beer because yeah, I, I, <laughs> you're worried about making those three months. Yeah, make sense. Yeah, I've got them going from one side of the galaxy to the, to the other. other in that in the next in three years because that's my only you know that's my that's the next time we see Kirk in chronology. Right. So anything in that in those years, fair game, as far as I'm concerned. Heard. I get it. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. You've got two new sequel ideas that you get to vote on. Which one do you like the best? Star Trek Seven 
uh, extinction event, or you didn't have a seven, right? You just had Star no, Trek: no, Brave it's New World, new trilogy part one. It's, it's a self-standing trilogy. All right. I have the guts to admit that I'm making the trilogy. Star <laughs> <Paul> Bennett. <laughs> Star Trek: Brave New Worlds, Part One. A non-accidental trilogy. Sounds like a lot of colons. <laughs> There'll definitely be a lot of colonoscopies <laughs> with uh, with that crew. <laughs> yeah, all right. Hold still, I said. <laughs> it's just bones. <laughs> Instead of like you know meeting uh, uh, like a new civilization, it would be bones giving the crew colonoscopies. <laughs> a lot of loose stool for ninety minutes. A lot of loose stool on the Enterprise those days. <laughs> What what else is green when it comes to Vulcans? <laughs> all right. So you get to vote on one of those movies, or by all means, we want to hear from you. How would you continue the original cast? What sequel idea do you have? Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. Send us your sequel ideas. You know we're going to read them on air, so put that pen to paper. Start typing on the computer. Do whatever you have to do. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. When you hear us next time, we'll be talking a whole new series. Oh, I'm very excited. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're continuing, Tom. And the adventure continues. Yes, and the adventure continues. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. All right. Matte paint. Dot, 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 matte painting. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. We're excited to have you. Say goodbye to the good people, Tom. That's great. All right, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, thanks for listening. I like to think I know something about beer. But nowadays, even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need. The Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer.